good day to be indigenous. Get up, stand up. They are going to become more brutal. Cody Cuff, Henny Cutter, Because all the hippies were trying to be Indians anyway. They're going to become more repressive because it's a matter of dollars and their illusionary concepts of power. Hey, Victor. We must live in balance with the earth. And also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I am awake. Welcome to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Wakanjahade. Which means distant thunder. My colonized name is Robert Pilot, and we discuss local and national Native news and events. As, as you know, Haley, Native issues are human issues, and human issues are Native issues. You're absolutely right, Dega. And this portion of the show is supported by the Native American Community Development Institute in Minneapolis. Right on. We love those guys, and thanks for the support. Hey, I just want to say today's show, we're going to have... Uh, State Representative Heather Keeler and later on Representative uh, Jessica Hansen. Uh, Heather, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it's always great to see you and always, you know, been watching you, uh, not creeping on you, but watching your Facebook and things like that and all the great work you're doing. And I'm on your page here. I would just love it if you uh, just spitball uh, whatever you want and come on in. And I know you're you're kind of detoxing after this uh, legislative, but it's got to be a good detox because you you uh, personally and then the uh, Democrats have gotten so much done. So I just want to throw out a big, big peenigigi. Thank you for being on and thank you for all the work you've done. Well, thanks, Robert. Thanks for having me back. I feel like it's been, I don't even know, we go into session and it's like we don't know what day it is. We don't know what month it is. Sometimes we're not even sure what year it is. You know, we just go get caught up in the work. And so... Um, yeah, I mean, we, we did a lot of really good things for Minnesota. Um, but, you know, I'm really proud of the work we did as the Native American caucus. And, um, you know, we have three indigenous members in the house. So we have myself, Jamie Becker Finn and Alicia Kozlowski. And we have Senator Kunish in the Senate, which for those of you who kind of understand uh, legislation, those numbers means that we were always, you know, the, the, the gap to make sure that, um, you know, Democrats had all the votes they needed to get things across the finish line. So that was really powerful for us because we made sure that as, you know, Democrats were making decisions for Minnesota, the native voice was never forgotten in that. Um, and so it's been really fun. Some of the things that kind of I, as Rep Keeler, love the most is that we finally passed Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, so Minnesota Ooh. will no longer celebrate Columbus Day. And Robert, I think I've told you and the listeners the story, you know, that that's actually how I got into politics is that I was an Indian education liaison, asked my superintendent if on that Monday we could do something really cool to highlight Indigenous Peoples Day and the beauty in our culture. And he said no. And for those of you who don't know me, um, I don't take no very well for an answer. And he said, uh, the only way we would ever do that is if the city or the state recognized Indigenous Peoples Day as a holiday. And so, um, you know, that coming true is kind of my full circle moment that, um, you know, politics isn't necessarily something that, you know, people dream of when they're a kid. Um, and I kind of want to use my story and my message that I was literally an Indian education liaison listening to kids. I did my master's program, um, doing my practicum work around asking the community, what were the barriers to academic success outside of academic rigor? So I wasn't asking, was math hard or science? I, it was what, what's hard in life. And the top three things that I found out was lack of representation, food insecurities, and homelessness. And so in my journey through the legislature, um, I've been able to do that. You know, my community told me that before I ever thought I was going to run, but um, I really felt it in my heart to carry those stories and that pain and try to turn it in some sort of purpose. And so um, the end of this session feels like I'm able to go back to my community and say, I heard you and I, I deeply listened and I stood up for the things that you shared um, and you know, we, we got some major wins. We got funding for tribal colleges for the first time. Every tribal college will get a million dollars, which they've never even had a line item for the state. We codified MIFPA, which is the Minnesota Indian Family Preservation Act, which is the Minnesota version of ICWA because we know what's happening federally there. Um, you know, we really pushed the Pathway Home Act. It's not native specific, but homelessness 
um, and food insecurities and sex trafficking really impact our communities greatly. And so being able to invest almost $300 million in what I believe is a really strong braided philosophy around um, ending youth homelessness uh, was pretty major as well. And then the other really cool part that Robert, I think you'll appreciate is we got the whole Indian education for all article um, fully funded. We'll have funding for teachers, but also the coolest part was that this year at graduation, no student was ever told that they could not wear their eagle feathers on their graduation cap. Um, and it's just little things like that that maybe don't impact all of Minnesota, but for those of us that that matters, um, it's life changing. So in a real quick nutshell, I guess that's some of the things that uh, we were able to get done. Wow, and that, that's a lot. And I, I just got to say from my own history, Heather, uh, I remember in the early 90s, uh, some old guard in schools would not let my students go in graduation with their feather, just hanging on their, uh, on their uh, uh, gown. And what a long way we've come, um, and thanks for, for doing that. Uh, we snuck around when I was teaching, though. We, I was smudging kids off in the, in the back room in the studio. and <laughs> giving, But okay. it's huge. It's huge. Uh, there's also uh, a bill that passed uh, with uh, the uh, mascots. You have to yeah. have permission. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, that's one of those things that we – it's – been in Indian country for a long time that some of these mascots are harmful. And so um, what this bill does is there's like 11 schools across the state that um, TNAC has identified that these mascots could potentially be harmful. And so it's just designing a process that these schools will either have to change their mascot and we give them a significant amount of time for that, or they can provide um, an exemption form if they feel like their mascot is not harmful to the indigenous community. And then there's a process that um, TNAC would end up walking through with them. Um, we just wanted to create a pause in things to make sure that, you know, we're doing a, a significant review um, because we know that it's not always the kids that go to that school that feel harmed by mascots, but also the communities and the schools around them. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Heather, I know you got to get going here in a couple minutes. I really appreciate you stopping in. Um, I want you to talk just a little bit about your business too, because as everyone can hear, you're a dynamic speaker. And I know I've quoted you many times over the show uh, on things you've said that I've heard you speak. So I've stole some of your stuff is what I'm saying. But um, yeah. talk about Tomorrow. maybe, two, <laughs> yes, thank you. Maybe talk about two feathers here in our last, our last minute and how people can you know, get a hold of you and secure you as a speaker or motivational speaker in across Turtle Island? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the part about being a legislator is it's a part-time job with a full-time commitment and part-time pay. And so um, as a single mom trying to show up and be the best that I can, um, I do have another business, which is Two Feathers Consulting. Um, and really what I do in that space is I do keynote speaking. One of my main uh, keynote options is Indigenous 101, all the things you didn't learn in K-12. It's about a three-hour workshop um, that I've done with a lot of organizations in the region. And then also I do motivational speaking, especially for um, youth and young adults, because I share my story a lot that I have four diplomas and I've never seen a teacher in the front of the classroom who looks like me. Um, a lot of my family has either died of cancer or has gone through extensive medical procedures and never see many doctors or nurses that look like us. And subliminally that tells us that we don't belong. And I believe the creator put me on a path to share my story, to make sure that, you know, I'm not the last one in the seat and that there's more in the next generations coming because this work is really, really hard. Um, but when we see ourselves mirrored in this work, um, it becomes more of a reality. And so, yeah, I, I just love to get out and share the message um, and share love and hope for our next generations. Wow. And how can we, is there a website, Heather? Twofeathersllc.com. Right on. Hey, I want to say thanks a lot. Uh, it was always quick, uh, but I know you got your family and you want to feed your family. And I really appreciate you stopping in in between gardening and uh, detoxing what was happening. Heather, thank you so, so much for stopping in. Thank you. See y'all later. Right on. Hey, that was Heather, a state representative. And I didn't say state senator this time either. I appreciate that. Don't ever give me that. I don't want that promotion. <laughs> okay. State Representative Heather Keeler. We'll be right back with uh, State Representative Jessica Hansen. We'll be right back. Stay with us. 
Hey, Olgama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit mn350.org. I heard sex trafficking happens a lot in Indian country. What is that? Here are some of the real reasons why sex trafficking happens in Indian country. Unequal gender roles that were forced on us by colonization. Communities don't have enough resources. Silence around domestic and sexual violence. Lack of attention and justice for missing and murdered indigenous people. There's a lot of behavior that keeps our communities out of balance. These are just a few true reasons why native communities are targeted by traffickers. When these acts of violence happen in our communities, it opens us all up for exploitation. Sponsored by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Minnesotans age 65 plus might qualify for Health Partners Minnesota Senior Health Options. The plan includes personal support, coverage for medical prescription drugs and dental, plus over 30 extra benefits. Eligibility information is available at healthpartners.com slash one plan. Health Partners is a health plan that contracts with both Medicare and the Minnesota Medical Assistance Medicaid program to provide benefits of both programs to enrollees. Enrollment in Health Partners depends on contract renewal. You hear a lot about Rudy Luther Toyota's hybrid cars, but maybe you're asking yourself, are they worth it? Let me say from experience, absolutely. I have a Toyota Sienna hybrid, and the proof is in the gas tank. Before my hybrid, I was filling up my tank once a week. Now it's consistently every two weeks. I did the math, and my hybrid is saving me over $1,000 every year. And the Toyota hybrids are some of the most stylish and comfortable vehicles you'll ever drive. Now's the time to get a Toyota hybrid. Set up a time to test drive one today at Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Hi, this is Representative Sharice Davids from Kansas. I'm Ho-Chunk, and you're listening to Native Roots Radio. And we're back to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake, and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Yes, it is. Hey, we're here with State Representative Jessica Hansen, 55A, the Burnsville area. I am so, so happy to have you on. We just had uh, Heather Keeler on, and... Yeah, and uh, this is just going to be is already a great show. Thank you so much, uh, Representative Hansen, for coming on. I'd I'd like to uh, introduce you to my uh, to my listening audience. Maybe tell a little bit about yourself and how you got into politics. But then and then we want to talk about marijuana. <laughs> Welcome. Well, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you. I you know, got into politics in a way that I think was maybe non-traditional. It wasn't really in my path to do that. So I grew up in the area in the South Metro um, down in Lakeville. I grew up in a trailer park. My family lived in poverty. I grew up around a lot of poverty, over-policing. And I really noticed that there were folks who didn't look like me who were treated much different than me. And so I was really exposed to those disparities from a really young age. So I knew from a little girl that I wanted to fight for justice and make sure I was fighting for the things that were important to my friends and people I grew up with and cared about. And um, I didn't think that politics was going to be where I landed necessarily. Um, After I finished high school, you know, I struggled to make ends meet as a teen mom. I, you know, was on WIC and I was on all, you know, Section 8 and trying to just get by. And so really participating in democracy outside of voting wasn't even a thought for me. I had never set foot on a college campus. Nobody in my family had ever gone to college. So even college wasn't an option for me. But I decided to go back when I was 25 with two young kids. Um, I got my bachelor's degree in social work from St. Kate's. And I that really kind of mobilized me, I think, in a different way, along with the elections that had just happened in 2016. And so I went to Washington, D.C. for the Women's March. And on the ride back, I started a nonprofit to really help people connect with their community to figure out how could they get involved. That was the barrier for me was how did I make time to be active in the community? So I had a little platform. It started there. Um, And shortly after, I met uh, Marcus Harkis, who was working with the Minnesota Campaign for Full Legalization. He had just started the, the the nonprofit. And he gave me his vision. He said, this is what I'd like to see a legal cannabis, you know, vision look like and an industry look like in Minnesota. 
And I was all in from the first time we met and we have been best friends ever since working side by side to make sure that we could stay at the table, build our own table if we needed to at times and really make sure that this became a good program. You know, after I started with him, we jumped right in. We started traveling the state of Minnesota, talking to Minnesotans from border to border, asking them what they wanted to see out of a legal program. And we heard a lot of the same things. People wanted expungement, they wanted to be able to grow at home, so on and so forth. And so that's really how we started to design our platform. Um, we became delegates to the, the uh, Democratic Party to go to the DFL state conventions and really fight for this cause as well. So that was my first time really getting involved in party politics, which again, wasn't really my thing at all, but I know that the world's run by people who show up and power is held by those who take it. And so I kept seeing people taking power that were not using it responsibly. And I just kept going further and further in. So I helped my predecessor get elected. We flipped our seat down here in the South Metro, holding, you know, trying to get closer to a majority in, in the legislature. And then a little bit later, I, I had kept doing advocacy work. I was teaching people how to be civically engaged, how to talk to their representatives, took people to the Capitol, all of that. But we really focused on what I think is the best part about how we organized in Minnesota. And that was that storytelling changes the world. And I think it's you know not so much something we see in white communities where we really like take our stories to teach each other and to learn from each other. And those these are things that I've learned from other cultures and from other people who really modeled what that looked like. And so we took that to the road and I formed the whole campaign around how we were gonna tell our stories, uplift the voices of people who were most impacted, people who had been arrested, people who had lost their homes, people who had you know, lost their, their cars during a civil asset forfeiture because someone smelled weed. This was around the same time that Philando Castile was stolen from this world. And wow. the officer said he feared for his life when he smelled cannabis, you know? so. I met John Thompson along that way. You know, we really just started to garner a lot of support around this. And we went from, you know, working within the Democratic Party to really trying to agitate a little bit and really raise the awareness about how important this issue was and to show that people were losing their freedom and their lives over this um, and that this wasn't just a hot issue. Uh, this is something that was really important. So we moved on. We um Built the campaign, went and saw everybody. We flipped the seat. My predecessor said he wasn't running anymore. And I said, fine, I'll step in and I'll do it. And so I agreed to run pre-COVID. And then right as we were getting the campaign going is when the pandemic came. Oh, and so that okay. was really hard because we had organized, you know, over 10,000 people around the state. We'd been working um, with so many different communities to make sure that there were no stories left out, that the white narrative wasn't canceling out as it always does. And so really working to do that, we had to change how we were doing it. And I was trying to win an election during a mm -hmm. pandemic. So it got really complicated. And as a single mom, it's really hard to find the time, the money, all of these things to do this kind of work. But we, we pushed through and I won and here I am. So I we pushed uh, House File 600. The Democrats turned around and did the Be Heard on Cannabis tour, which was very similar to what we had done in our nonprofit. And they heard a lot of the same things that we had heard and what we had put forward on our platform for what we wanted to see out of the program. Um, and it went forward. It got you know a lot of hearings in the House, zero hearings in the Republican-controlled Senate. Um, and that was really disheartening because there's a lot of Republicans, independents, no party people, people who had lost their right to vote, who really cared a lot about this issue that our Senate wasn't representing. Um, so we knew we had to go all in in the campaign the next year because elections matter, representation matters. We wanted to make sure we were pushing people who agreed with this into office. Um, and thankfully, we have our one seat majority now in the Senate and we were able to get that through. So that's what brought us kind of to where we are today. And, you know, we didn't think we would get everything that we started off wishing for, but we also fought really hard for all of it. And we ended up with what is now the best model for full legalization in the country with the largest reparations package that has ever been seen. And so I think that's the most important piece to me is that we are working to undo some of the harms of the past to make sure that we have good relationships with tribal governments, that um, the state of Minnesota and tribal governments enter into compacts so that everybody can benefit from this um, new industry that's coming to Minnesota. And that wasn't something that had happened in the work that had happened in the past. So this year we saw a lot of changes that I think were justice focused that were freedom focused, that really helped people um, 
can just feel like they could engage about consuming a healing plant that was really stigmatized before. So the conversation shifted from being, should we legalize what we, what, whether we should legalize to how do we legalize in this last session? And that was just a dream come true for me. I have spent six years dreaming <laughs> that this would happen. Um, and yesterday the governor signed it into law. So it's really exciting. That is exciting. And uh, I want to talk a little bit. I got the applause going on here. I don't know if you can hear it. on my. Uh, but uh, I want to talk a little bit. Uh, you, you, you said so much there. And one of the things that I thought was interesting in the last cycle, the Republicans were having people run a, as a third party as a cannabis party. And they had no idea. I mean, people, there was a few of them that had no idea uh, what was going on and how that happened. So all these shenanigans that were happening, um, and you uh, made it through it. And uh, it, and this bill, uh, Jessica, too, I hear is over 270 pages or 207 pages. Is that correct? I think it's 321, I think. Whoa. Something like that. That's, that's <laughs> the first crazy. version was 200. So we, upped, we went up a lot to make sure we were capturing all of the things we needed and we weren't missing anything. You know, this was very intentional. It was very um, important to us that we got this right the first time. We have seen other states that failed to include equity, that failed to include, you know, some pretty strict local control measures um, that have failed to include home growing or expungement or so many things. And we wanted to make sure we learned from those mistakes, did not repeat them and that we did better. When you know better, you have to do better. And that's the biggest lesson I've learned over and over in this work. Um, and I just keep pushing that forward. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, having a compact with the native communities here in Minnesota mm -hmm. is 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 excellent because what's the worst thing that could happen is all of a sudden we have all these people that are, are in jail or getting out of jail uh, for weed. And then we have a whole white uh, business uh, model where we can buy it legal from them and what a kind of message that is. But working with the tribes like uh, as a compact is is you know, like you said, this is music to my ears. Yeah, I'm really excited about that part because I know like Red Lake Nation, White Earth Nation, they're doing really great work around this. We've seen, you know, the wonderful Winona LaDuke's hemp, you know, fiber piece. We have Angela Davis working on um, other hemp products, more consumable type products, non-textiles. We have so much um, growth to do throughout a number of different communities that just hasn't been done before. And so we wanted to make sure that we were, again, prioritizing, one, correcting and righting some of the wrongs of the past through non-cannabis investments, like comes from the cannabis money, but also is diverted for non-cannabis uses too, to make sure we can repair the harms for people who maybe don't want to get into the industry, to really focus on improving um, social determinants of health. Representative Kozlowski did such good work this year to really push that forward. And so having them as a partner in this has just been like I have goosebumps even talking about it because we worked so well together and it was it was just such a labor of love with everybody there. So, Well, Jessica, do you have a time for another segment? Because uh, you just gave us a lot to talk about here in the next segment. Yeah. Excellent. Hey, I'm I'm here. And uh, with State Representative Je Jessica Hansen of 55A, the Burnsville area, and and we're really excited about the work that she's been doing, and really uh, we're talking about hemp right now and marijuana. So that's uh, keep the keep the subject going. You're listening to Native Roots Radio presents. I'm awake. Stay with us. JNS Bean Factory is a native-owned, community-supported, cozy, artsy coffee shop which offers roasted on-site beans, live music, and baked goods. Relax in the beautiful outside patio. City Pages writes, voted top 10 coffee shops. Tucked into a quiet corner of St. Paul's Highland Park neighborhood, this coffee shop roasts beans on-site from the best coffee-growing countries in the world. Located at 1518 Randolph Avenue, St. Paul. The good stuff. 
Life is a journey, and the Doherty Family College at the University of St. Thomas will help you get where you want to go. Located in downtown Minneapolis, this affordable two-year college provides free textbooks, a laptop, meals, career coaches, and a metro transit pass, making DFC the perfect pathway to a bachelor's degree. Turn your dreams into reality at Doherty Family College at the University of St. Thomas. Apply today at dfc.stthomas.edu. When it comes to mental health, connections with others can be a way forward. How do you reach out when you need someone? What do you do to support those who struggle? Whether you're struggling or know someone who struggles, see connections as comfort, hope, and joy. Like sending a text, sharing a moment, offering a hug, seeing an old friend, seeing your grandma. Together we can find ways to create a path forward. Visit cmentalhealth.org. Visit cmentalhealth.org. Hi, I'm Peter Solak. And I'm Adam Ostrowski. We are here at Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces to talk about the joy of live fire cooking. Cooking over a live fire is the oldest and most basic form of cooking. What's new is in the way a fire is handled and its heat is managed. It's easier to experience and enjoy the smell and taste of food cooked over a live fire. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces sells and installs live fire grills, fire pits, and ovens. Let us help you experience the smell, the taste, the fun of cooking with fire. Pizza was first made and is still best made in an open fire oven. The radiant and conductive heat of a live fire is unmatched for wood roasting and baking artisan breads too. Come see the many ways you can cook over a live fire. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces has over 35 working wood and gas units on display at the corner of East Franklin and Riverside Avenue in Minneapolis. More information at woodlandstoves.com. Find the fire that works for you. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, out of the ordinary products and services since 1977. I'm Elizabeth Sullivan. And I'm Kelly Wagner. Energize yourself with AM 950's new programming block, Sunday Shine Radio, from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Sunday Shine Radio radiates wellness, consciousness, and curiosity. Join us for green tea conversations at 10, exploring sovereignty with Elizabeth at 11 a.m., and the Being Curious show at noon. Our lineup focuses on igniting your own self-discovery and personal wellness. Tune in every Sunday for Sunday Shine Radio from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. And let us guide you on an inspirational journey each week. 2023 is here and you can make it the year of the eagle with the National Eagle Center. You and your family can enjoy exciting eagle experiences including field trips, private habitat tours, and exclusive behind-the-scenes tours. Meet live eagles up close, view bald eagles and golden eagles in the wild, and receive personal one-on-one education with dedicated and knowledgeable eagle experts as you journey into the world of eagles like never before. Learn more and plan your unforgettable eagle experience today at nationaleaglecenter.org slash experiences. With a look at your AM 950 weather, I'm Patrick Lilia. Cloudy overnight with a low of 68, then another hot and sunny day expected on Thursday with a high of 91. Celebrate the arrival of summer with a great meal at an Eat Local Minnesota restaurant, perfect for any occasion. Check out the list of Eat Local Minnesota restaurants at eatlocalminnesota.com. You're listening to Native Roots Radio. This is Spirit from Reservation Dogs. Get up and listen. Welcome back to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by Minnesota 350, a grassroots organization fighting for climate justice. Hey, sorry about that, Haley, walking over there. I should uh, read the script here and uh, stay to the script, correct? Uh, (laughs) Hey, we're here with State Representative Jessica Hansen, uh, 55A here in Burnsville uh, area in Minnesota, and we're talking a little bit about uh, the hemp and the journey that she's been on these last six years. Jessica, how about throwing out some shout-outs to some of your colleagues that have been working hard on this, too? Uh, Who... Who do you have in mind and who who else is – I've seen – I saw uh, Jesse the Bod Ventura. He was there at the signing. And I just got to say one thing about Jesse, and I think I might have mentioned this yesterday, is that I see Jesse at a lot of Native American things, and he doesn't want to be found out. You know, he doesn't want a selfie. He wants to support the Native community. And, and I always, always appreciate that with the former governor and uh, WWE wrestler. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, it was, I mean, it's really great to have his support in this. You know, he planted the seed to really talk about um, the importance of cannabis use with, with his family's experience and what that was like. And what we called that in our movement was coming out of the cannabis closet, right? It's like being able to find a safe enough place where you could talk about this use. And we know that's not that's not a safe thing to do for the people who are disproportionately arrested and criminalized for this healing plant. And so it was important to us that we like kept doing more of that because he opened the door to be able to talk about that. And that comes from a place of privilege, right? Is both in his position of power and his privilege. Was he able to say, look, this is something that helps my family. And again, storytelling changes the world. And that was arguably one of the first stories here that had kind of that, level of power, if you will, that started to change the conversation a little bit. And like he said yesterday, you know, change takes a really long time. That was 20 years ago when he said that, you know, I was in high school <laughs> when he was elected. So it wasn't something that I necessarily heard, but the institution heard it, the culture heard it, society heard it, and we were able to build on that. So having his support was a really like key piece of this, in my opinion. Um, and we you know, in our work, we kind of amplified that um, process a little bit, right, as we talked to white suburban moms who were, did have the privilege to also come out of the cannabis closet and to talk about some of that, because this was the last group that people were, were ready to criminalize over this plant, right? And we knew that the disparities that were existing were not going to be solved unless we starkly exposed them. And as we exposed them more and more, and we had more people that created that safer place to come out and talk about it. For example, I put it on the front page of my newspaper last and the like the in between of my first and second year because I wanted people to just feel comfortable to talk about it. Um, and I just said, I've been a cannabis consumer for 20 years. You know, this isn't something that only unsuccessful people use. There's all these tropes and stereotypes that exist out there about cannabis uh, consumers, and we needed to break them down. So with his help, storytelling to create some space, we were able to create more space for people to tell the stories of um, about why we were really doing this, right? We're really doing this is because prohibition is a failed racist system. That's That was the whole mission from the beginning is to shut this down. It's ineffective. It doesn't improve public safety. It doesn't improve public health. It perpetuates the prison industrial complex and the war on drugs and the racist system that exists within our, ju our justice system. So this is a way to like, it's one of the tentacles of white supremacy. It's, it's just one of the many things we need to continue to do in our society to talk about the issues that are happening. And I think it's really important for, for white folks to lead on that and to really have those conversations. So I applaud the governor for what he did. He didn't have to do that. Mm. You know, he could have chose to keep that as a secret and to use, you know, for him and his wife to keep that to themselves and to not be public about it. But he knew the power of that story. And so I appreciate that a lot. And I, I would be willing to bet, you know, a lot of us learn about the importance of storytelling from spending our time within different communities because it's it is really important to do that in our in our world. Who else was allying uh, allying this with you in the state representative in uh, the Senate? Yeah, so I, I'll probably miss some people. <laughs> so I hate to like start naming people, but you know, before I came on board and before I was elected. Representative Tina Liebling had carried a bill. Representative Mike Freiberg was a big supporter. Representative Ray Dean was a big supporter. I'm probably missing some people from kind of back in the day, um, but they were really paving the way. Then the class of 2018 came in and we had Representative Aisha Gomez, Representative Jay Zhang, you know, people yeah. who were really willing to stand out front and say that this is an issue that we want to tackle. Representative um, Hoden Hassan was there, Representative Mahatma mm -hmm. Noor really just talking about this issue and how it was affecting their communities too. So having that Minneapolis delegation and St. Paul delegations kind of step up to help move this forward really like kind of paved the way as we came in later on. Representative and Majority Leader Ryan Winkler in the 2020 session, um, you know, that was a really important piece that, you know, he put forward in 2021 and 22. Um, and carrying that bill signaled to people that the Democrats are serious about this, that mm -hmm. there are two parties that operate in the legislature and one's going to get weed legal and one is going to do everything in their power to stop it. And I said in the campaign trail last year when I was standing with Ryan Winkler, I said, if people want legal weed, send Democrats back to St. Paul. We will get it done. And I knew that from the beginning. So um, it was this it was, year. It was a little interesting, uh, too. Uh, 
on that vote with the with the gummies uh some of the republicans <laughs> acted like they didn't read it but uh you know they read it they read the bill they're they're well, not all of them are dummies and um so to play play that game like well yeah. we didn't know that this was going to happen and then you had uh, lines around the block for people picking up some gummies yeah Yep. And look, the sky didn't fall. Right. So this was kind of like a, a laboratory in a sense of like there's we know there's already THC and cannabis in our communities through the illicit and the legacy businesses that exist right now. Um, but then there was this piece that was added in. And again, the sky didn't fall. So it didn't fall under an, a legacy world. It didn't fall under a legal world with the gummies. And it's not going to fall when we get into the legal market either. So. Um, I'm trying to think if there's more people I should like make sure I mention. Obviously, the conferees this year and our chief author this year is Representative Zach Stevenson. We would not have gotten to where we got to without his leadership. He has just been fabulous in working on this. You know, coming from he, he joined our community, kind of joined our movement, and he was just a great leader in this. Representative Alicia Kozlowski, Representative yeah. Athena Hollins, they were also conferees. Senator Claire Umover-Baton, Senator Aaron Murphy, Senator Fa. Um, it was just a really dynamic team to come together and do this. All of the state agencies are there. I would also be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to Sam Strong, who has just been a super ally in this too. And giving us a tour up at the Red Lake uh, Medical Facility was a great opportunity to see what a... Uh, uh, really top of the line and industry leading dispense or um, grow operation really looks like. I mean, they're just killing it up there. I'd love to go see more around the state, but it was really great to get the opportunity to go there and share some space and, and learn more about what they're doing. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think the other, the last person I'll mention, even though I'm leaving some people out is our speaker Hortman. I mean, mm -hmm. this has been a labor of love that she has led fearlessly. I mean, we could not ask for a better speaker in how she made sure that we pushed forward with an agenda that was community driven, justice focused and mm -hmm. equitable with an equitable economy in mind. I want to talk about the justice here in the last few minutes. Uh, what are what are the parameters in, in this law uh, uh, for people that are in, incarcerated for dealing? What is how does that work and how is that going to work? Is there going to be a committee to go yeah. through these? How, how does that work? So the expungement processes, the BCA has put out some things on their website and on their Twitter page that people can look at to get more specifics if they want to get into it. But in short, we'll be the first in the nation to do automatic expungements of low-level criminal um, cannabis offenses. So those are offenses that you know, should be expunged misdemeanors, petty misdemeanors, things like that. So that will go into effect... Other states have required their citizens to petition their government to get that stuff done. I was very adamant that that's silly. The government knows who has these charges because they can stop you from getting a job at DHS or they can stop you from getting employment and things like that, but they can't find your records. We weren't okay with that. So we, we said automatic was the way we wanted to do that. So that'll be the low level ones. Then there's going to be an expungement board. And that board is going to look at some of the more serious offenses and people who had like felonies, first of all, selling, possession, whatever that might be. And then felonies that were in conjunction with other crimes, right? So the resentencing will happen. That will also be automatic. So they won't have to um, petition the government to do that. But that board is going to take a little bit longer because those cases are a little bit different. Um, but if somebody is, you know, in jail for purely a cannabis charge and nothing else, they will see their record expunged and they will hopefully get out as soon as possible is our goal. We prioritized, you know, the ones that we can do quick that are stopping people from getting jobs or employment, things like that housing. And then the expungement board will go on. The last thing that they'll do will be the petty misdemeanors, things that people weren't arrested for, also known as a ticket, right? So if you got a small amount ticket or something like that, that maybe isn't stopping you from getting housing, but it is on your record and you'd like it off, those will happen last um, because we wanted to prioritize kind of triaging the trauma that these criminal charges um, do. So that's, a, that's the most important part of that. Wow. Hey, uh, we only got like a minute left with you, Jess. Uh, what yeah. what does the summer bring for you? Summer? I mean, legal weed, man. This is the most nice. important part. <laughs> I'm so excited for this. You know, as of August 1st, people can consume cannabis. They can have up to two ounces on them in public, two pounds per adult in the household. Um, you can home grow starting on August 1st as well. That's when the criminalization stops. It'll take about 18 months for us to set up the agency and to get everything going. It's going to happen as fast as possible. The website is already up. It's cannabis.mn.gov. So there's a lot of information there. 
And I think the other thing to look forward to this summer is uh, Cannabis College. So the Minnesota Cannabis College is hosting some summer school courses. So if you just look up Minnesota Cannabis College, you'll be able to find those summer school courses to start to prepare people to get into the industry, start businesses and answer some questions. Wow, perfect. Well, I, I just want to say, uh, Representative Jessica Hansen, thank you so much for being on. Let's make this uh, an annual or biannual here because I really appreciate your energy and all the information that you've given to our listeners all over Turtle Island here. Thank you. I'm going to leave you with one last thing. Mark your calendars for August 1st for a celebration with more information to come. But thank you so much for having me, and I appreciate you so much, everybody. Thanks for listening. Right on. Hey, and we'll have you on before that August 1st celebration to promote it. That sounds great. All right. Hey, you're listening to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake, and that was State Representative Jessica Hansen, 55A of the Burnsville area here in Minnesota, talking about cannabis. We love it here, and this is a trifecta state, Minnesota. So we'll be right back after this short break. Hey, Olgama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit mn350.org. Hey, this is Robert Pilot. I taught in St. Paul Public Schools for over 25 years, and I want you to join the team and make a difference in our children's future. Right now, St. Paul Public Schools is offering hiring and retention bonuses up to $10,000 for a variety of teaching and classroom support positions for the next school year. Grow in a supportive and fulfilling public school setting. Limited bonuses are available, so don't delay. Apply at SPPS.org slash careers. Minnesota has the only original wolf population in the continental United States. And 80% of Minnesotans believe the wolf should be protected. Howling for Wolves is asking Minnesotans to respect our true wildlife manager, the wolf. Their survival is critical to our ecosystems, our communities, and even our economy. As highly intelligent animals with strong social bonds, Minnesota wolves deserve to be protected and admired. Learn more at howlingforwolves.org. Let's Let's live and and let howl. Life is a journey, and the Doherty Family College at the University of St. Thomas will help you get where you want to go. Located in downtown Minneapolis, this affordable two-year college provides free textbooks, a laptop, meals, career coaches, and a metro transit pass, making DFC the perfect pathway to a bachelor's degree. Turn your dreams into reality at Doherty Family College at the University of St. Thomas. Apply today at dfc.stthomas.edu. Hi, I'm Jane Fonda, and you're listening to Native Roots Radio. And we're back to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake, and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by Howling for Wolves, protecting wolves for future generations. How? How? All right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was uh, hey, it's been an awesome show and we got wendy coming up here in just a minute uh with our sacred animal section and i got my cat here wanting to be petted as usual i just want to say this before we uh get with uh, wendy haley is that starting monday we'll be on at five and that is uh, such a gift and uh I remember years ago we had a show, Wendy and I, called Pilot's Progressive Party that was on at 5 during drive time. And we're ready to take it up again and uh, also be live at the Twins game and also uh, things that will be in the community doing a lot of live stuff and supporting our community. So we're excited about the change. And uh, I can get out on the boat too right after the show now and it won't be dark. Right. Got to get out there for the sunset, you know. That's right. (laughs) Without any further ado, this is our sacred animal section, and I'd like to introduce Wendy Pilot. Thank you, Robert. Hey, everybody. My name is Hana Jihihani. That means cares for them. I was given that name by my Dega Curtis. Curtis goes by Mashke Hanajinga, which means walks on white clouds. I'm a humane policy volunteer leader for the Humane Society of the United States, and I work on animal issues at the local and state level. And as always, it is my pleasure 
to do those type of things. And I often talk about, especially during the summer, how we could help our wildlife by leaving water out in our backyards and around and filling up the bird baths and making sure that the water is clean and changing the hummingbird nectar um, at least every couple of days, especially in the hot weather. Uh, that nectar needs to be changed. Um, if not, the sugar in the nectar will ferment and when the little hummingbird takes a drink of that nectar, uh, it ferments on their tongue and then their tongue gets, um, they can't use their tongue anymore and then they die. So it's really important if you're going to have uh, nectar out for the hummingbirds. It is a commitment and uh, I make my own. It's uh, one cup sugar and four cups of water. Just boil it up on the stove, just remember to just use plain old granulated sugar. Please do not use raw sugar, sugar or anything else, just regular plain granulated sugar. One cup of sugar, four cups of water, and then just fill the container up just so, just enough so it comes through those little uh, flower petals on your uh, dispenser. And then just wash it out with uh, nice hot water and that's it. Fill it up every couple of days and then you could keep the other, the leftover nectar in the refrigerator in a pitcher. I'm not sure how long it stays. I think I keep mine for about two weeks and that usually, uh, that usually does it. But um, Robert, you texted me a picture the other night. It was really hot out of a, of a possum drinking from the water dish that we keep outside. So while I'm away, Robert, I appreciate you um, watering and filling up those containers for the animals and watering all our plants and keeping everything hydrated. So thank you. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the possum. And I really love these little animals. And they are really good to have in your backyard because they eat a ton of ticks. So I always welcome the possums. Um, I know some people think that they're ugly, but I don't. I think they're very, very cute. And uh, this is a little bit of information, and this is from the North Texas Wildlife Center. And I'm just going to read this. The possum is one of the world's oldest mammals dating back to 65 million years ago. They're often referred to as living fossils and have remained mostly unchanged over time. A female possum can have 13 to 20 babies, but she only has 13 nipples. Mama is pregnant for only 12 days and gives birth to fetal-like joeys that are the size of your pinky fingernail. That's pretty small. At this stage, they have no back legs, but they have crawl claws that allow them to climb into the pouch and latch onto a nipple for nutrition, warmth, and security. Nature is cruel, though, immediately culling the weak. So to, um, to slow, too slow to make it to the pouch, sorry, you lost your spot. Too weak, oh well, it's over before it be even begins. Two to four months later, the babies begin to leave the pouch and ride on the mama's back. But nature strikes again. Too weak to hold on? Bye. Too soon to catch up? Zup, sorry, sorry, you're gone. You're a goner. So nature is pretty cruel to these cute little animals. But as they grow, they begin to fall off in a revolutionary, advantageous dispersal pattern. Instead of concentrating the population into one area, they're known to spread out. Nature and man make problems, challenges uh, for their survival. Cars, cats, dogs, poison, predation, litter habitat loss, and abuse. If you see a possum in your yard, he fought to make it so far. So don't let your mild inconvenience, inconvenience take away his life. Do not trap, do not relocate, do not poison. Be kind, coexist. After all, they were here first. Yes, 65 million years ago. That's amazing. It really is. 
Um, but I love those little critters. And I'm happy because they do eat uh, ticks. So if they're in my yard eating all the ticks, I'm just happy because then the ticks don't get on my dog. Uh, we do let our kitty cat um, Lucy outside, but only when we're outside. And she just stays in the backyard just for a little while. She does like to sit in the sun and hang out. So hopefully the possums ate all the ticks and they're not going to land on any of our dogs or cats. So happy about that. have an update from the National Eagle Center. And um, this is a, a something that I didn't know. They say that bald eagles swim. So our post earlier uh, referenced the backstroke showing a bald eagle flying inverted during a mid-air tussle. Of course, they would use completely different stroke when they swim, and they do swim. I didn't know that. People are often quite surprised to learn that eagles can swim. It's a fairly regular occurrence that members of the public or a follower here on Facebook share a video and their complete shock with us at the sight of a bald eagle swimming on a river or a lake. Of course, the natural reaction when seeing this for the first time is that the eagle needs assistance, but... They are very capable and often use this technique to bring larger fish to shore for a very filling meal. It isn't the most graceful or even planned activity for an eagle, but sometimes the pursuit of food, fish, results in an unexpected dip in the drink. <laughs> this also ties into the misconception concerning how much weight an eagle can carry. Catching a fish too large to fly back to shore, often only three to four pounds, is common, and a hungry bald eagle is not eagle eager to simply let that fish go. So they drag it through the water to shore using what is best described as a butterfly-style stroke. One final note has to do with another misconception being that eagles often drown because they cannot release their talons at the will, at will, and are pulled under by a too large fish. This is false. Bald eagles can often open and close their talons at will and drowning due to a fish is either the result of exhaustion if they were too far from shore or their own stubbornness for refusal to let the big one get away. So that is our update on eagles, and I was not sure that they could swim, so I'm glad that they can. And if I do see an eagle in a lake or a river, I won't be as concerned. And with that, Robert, back to you. A report as always. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out to State Senator or State. Oh, I said it, State Senator, State Representative Heather Keeler, Jessica uh, Hansen for coming in, and Wendy. And thank you so much, Haley, for all you do for the show. Uh, this has been a great show, and uh, we just can't say enough about the great guests that uh, come on our show and speak their truth. Remember, uh, we're going to be on at five o'clock starting Monday really excited hey if you're listening to the show you're part of the resistance from chief plenty coops the ground on which we stand on is sacred ground it is the blood of our ancestors we need to resist divest join a group run for office we're still here we are the seventh generation free leonard peltier now